You're listening to the Bold Face Truth Podcast with Amy Green Smith, episode 436. You can find information on anything referenced in this episode at amygreensmith.com slash EP436. Oh, well, hey there. Check you out listening to self-help pods and working on yourself. Fuck yeah. Quick question. You know those situations where your boss asks you to take on one more thing, or your partner asks what's bothering you, and you respond with a bold-faced lie? Oops. What would shift for you if you actually started telling the bold-faced truth? Everything. Listen, if you struggle with people-pleasing, perfectionism, and you could use some help with boundaries or speaking up, you are in the right place. Thank God. I am Amy Green-Smith. I'm a certified and credentialed life coach, hypnotherapist, and keynote speaker. Fancy. And I've been working in the personal development space since the mid-2000s. Vintage. Sometimes I'll be solo, other times you'll hear from smart folks offering you easy-to-implement tools to help you tell the bold-faced truth. Yes! Hey, hey, pod people. Amy here, and I'm bringing you a topic this week that I personally have been really struggling with over the last handful of years. And I knew that it was time to have some really rich discussion around this. I've been talking about it a lot with my colleagues as well as my students and clients. And I'm really starting to unearth this idea of what does it mean to genuinely love and appreciate my body. And if you're out there and you identify as a woman (laughs) – or you are female presenting, it's likely that you have dealt with the onslaught of demand and objectification around bodies. And we've talked about this a handful of times on the show before, how there's such a disproportionate weight, no pun intended, placed on women surrounding their their image. And I, I had been thinking about this lately as I've gotten older and started to think about all of these creams and lotions and surgeries and injections and thoughts, just straight up thoughts that have been consumed with anti-aging, how much my Instagram is peppered with people uh, peddling products that are all around what we look like. And I thought, you know what, there is no better person to call up than Dr. Lexi Kite. You might be familiar with her. Both she and her sister, Dr. Lindsay Kite, they are the doctor's kite. (laughs) They're identical twins. And they are co-authors of the book, More Than a Body. Your body is an instrument, not an ornament, and they are also both co-directors of the nonprofit Beauty Redefined. I think I first stumbled upon their Instagram account, which we'll definitely link to in the show notes. I believe it's beauty underscore redefined. These two women, I think, are doing some of the most pivotal work in the body positive movement. And there's there's a real divide between what the kites are talking about and what we're seeing as sort of this commodified version of body positivity. And so we'll we'll definitely talk about that. 
But they both received their PhDs from the University of Utah in the study of female body image and have become leading experts in body image resilience and media literacy. And when I tell you that my life was rocked reading this book, and not only that it was rocked, but also that it was a call to motherfucking arms and a real reckoning with how much of our time and energy and mental bandwidth has been robbed because it's so focused on this singular piece of who we are, which is our outward appearance. So I definitely want to get Dr. Lexi Kite's perspective on this. So I'm going to give her a call here in a second. And every time that I have heard either of them speak or engage with their particular zone of genius, it it gets me emotional. And I know I'll get emotional talking to her. And it's because there's been so much lost to this myopic view that we are just a body because we are absolutely not. Authors of numerous studies and books have cited both Lindsay and Lexi's original research, and they've been featured everywhere, including New York Times, CNBC, Boston Globe, I mean, just to name a few. And they really have this passion about helping girls and women recognize and reject the harmful effects of objectification in their lives through their significant social media reach, online body image resilience course, which we will absolutely link to in the show notes. And they have a facilitator program for dietitians and therapists. And of course, their incredibly popular book, has given them an opportunity to share this message. And I really hope that you consider picking it up. I have it in both a tangible copy as well as an audiobook. And I truly think that it's it, it's one of the most important books out there in this in this arena. So let's give a call to Dr. Lexi Kite. Let's see if she picks up. And if she does, y'all get your pens and a paper ready. There are so many gems. Get ready to wear a hole in this episode because it is a call to motherfucking arms. Like I said, it's time to do the work. Let's give her a ring. Hello? Dr. Lex, it's Amy. How are you? Oh, I'm so good. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm well, I'm, I'm good, but I'm definitely wrestling with some body image stuff, body confidence stuff, resilience. And I'm over here with the audience and we've been talking about this concept and I thought, okay, I've, I've got to call up the kites. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that you picked up. Do you have a handful of minutes that we could could dig into this and chat a bit. Yes, let's do this. I just laid my baby down for a nap. I've got I've got a solid chunk of time. Let's talk. I'm here for you. Oh my gosh, I feel so grateful that you're using the nap time. I know that's like a precious <laughs> nap time. <laughs> this is such a huge currency. It's for you. Oh my gosh, I love this. So so good. Okay. So for the people who are listening and being voyeurs on our call right now, 
I, I first I want to say I really think that the book that you've written with your sister, Lindsay, is probably one of the most important books of our generation. I mean, oh, that is so amazing. Thank you so much. Oh, it means the world. It is so needed. It is so necessary. And I was listening to the audiobook today again, and I was thinking about how I'm a, I'm a hypnotherapist. And so I'm focused a lot on rewiring the subconscious faculty of the mind. And I was thinking about how I just want to leave your book going at Mm -hmm. a low volume, kind of all the time to help recondition my my subconscious. I love that. Oh my gosh. That's like the best compliment ever. (laughs) It really, I mean, and of course we'll definitely link to that. And I know y'all have an amazing course, but before we get into all of that, yeah. I want to talk about something that I was really struck by in, in the book, you talk about an sort of an analysis of the dove beauty campaigns yeah, and how the concept of body image, you know, cause we talk it, we throw that term around a lot, like body image is not necessarily yeah. about how one sees themselves, but rather the image that we're projecting outwardly, like how do other people view our literal image. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about the push for a new understanding around Mm -hmm. that concept. You know, when we started our, when we started grad school and our research a million years ago, people weren't really talking about body image. It wasn't like a trending topic. It wasn't something like celebrities were super vulnerable about, you know, on Instagram. It just wasn't something people were talking about in popular culture. And over the last many years, people are talking about it now. It is kind of a buzzword, body image, body positivity, a lot of body stuff going on. And yet Lindsay and I have noticed that people are getting it wrong. When people are talking about body image, a lot of times they're talking about the way their bodies look and how they feel about the way their bodies look. Yes. And so you think that, you know, there's a lot of popular activists and influencers and well-meaning people who try to solve the problem of girls and women's body image issues by helping them feel more beautiful. That's like, that's what Dove does. That was the, you know, early uh, revolution of Dove helping people say, huh, maybe I'm more beautiful than I think I am. Maybe other people think I look better than I think I do right now. You know, maybe I am pretty after all. And that is a good feeling. The problem is that it is fleeting. If you believe that positive body image is just thinking you look good, you are missing a huge part of the puzzle and you are unable to heal the real problem. Positive body image isn't just thinking you look good. It's no, it's not thinking your body looks good. It's knowing your body is good, regardless of how it looks, regardless of how it works, because your body is yours. Your body is the only home you're ever going to have. And yet most of us cannot perceive ourselves in any other way than like an outsider looking in. We literally exist outside of ourselves. We define ourselves according to how we think we look to strangers passing by us on the street. We define ourselves by our worst flaws in need of fixing the things that if we just could get that thing under control, then we'd be fine. We're constantly thinking about ourselves, evaluating and, and valuing ourselves according to an outsider's perspective, and that will never heal us. So body image, it's not how you look. It's not how you think you look. It's how you feel in your body. It's about how you feel, what you can do, who you are seeing your body as 
instrumental instead of ornamental. And that's how you really heal the problem. You can't fix it by feeling more beautiful. And that's so interesting because it's sort of a covert objectification, right? It's packaged in this new way that's not necessarily you know, the waif model of the nineties, where it was like, you're either this body type or you're nothing. Now it's okay. There's all these ways to be beautiful, but let's still fucking focus on the beauty and the image that we're seeing. Yes. Yeah. I understand why body positivity is so popular and we need it. I would never mock or degrade body positivity. We need a world where we see a greater representation of people. Body diversity is so deeply important. You still don't really get that in popular media. Occasionally you see somebody represented positively that isn't thin, young, you know, all, all the things that we've been taught to believe and that we grew up believing. But honestly, you have to look to social media to see people take media into their own hands and represent themselves in a world, a profit-driven world where otherwise you don't ever see yourself. When I was growing up, I would have killed to see anybody that looked anything like me. I clung to images of, it was Topanga from the real world who wasn't even a little bit fat or thick, but she was as close as I could get to somebody that looked like me. You know, if, if we had been able to grow up seeing representations of people just as normal, as okay as they are. I don't think that our generation, you know, millennials would be quite so hung up on our bodies. But the problem with body positivity is that if we stop there, if we stop at expanding the definition of who gets to be sexy, who gets to be attractive, who gets to be beautiful, we are stopping at talking about women as bodies alone still. We are recentering their bodies. We're objectifying them and ourselves when we don't expand the conversation to who we are. If we keep the conversation at, at bodies, we are doing a disservice because, you know, lots of men and boys have body image issues too. They have self-confidence issues. Nobody is trying to solve their problems by telling them how cute they are. If you only knew how handsome you were, you know, you'd, you'd get out there and change the world. Like we laugh at that. We scoff at it because boys and men were not raised to believe that their value and their power, their ability to be loved, to be successful comes from their bodies, from how they look. They were not raised that way. Yes, appearance is a portion of that. But for boys and men, they have gotten to see a wide array of representations of what it means to be male, you know, to be loved, to be successful. You can look a lot of different ways in kids' media, in adult media, wherever you're looking. And yet for girls, we've been taught that we are bodies first and people second, that even if we are the most successful women in the world, you better look good doing it, or you will be mocked and derided. You know, that's right. That's that's what we've been taught. I've talked about this with my husband before. I said, if we remove body image shit for you, you still have a ton of other options. You still have competency. You still have intelligence. You have physical ability and prowess. You have financial success. Like there's so many other ways that we can say you're a valuable human to somebody who's in a male identifying body Mm -hmm. than a female identifying body. And so, so here's my question for you, because I know your organization is called beauty redefined. And I've heard both of y'all talk about how you still like, you know, some glam here and there. And, you know, there's, there's elements of traditional beauty 
that you're up for, right? And and I feel that way as well, obviously, as I contoured the fuck out of my face today and, <laughs> you know, have always have lipstick. I just, I really genuinely love a lot of that as an artist and have yeah. for many years. Yeah. So I find it really difficult to parse out. And perhaps this is me just being an all or nothing. Like I don't see an amazing solution besides all of us not having sight, not having vision, mm-hmm. right? Like if all we could rely on was physical touch and uh, speaking to one another, yeah. but we are so much what we see, right? And we yeah. engage with a visual representation all the time. So I find it difficult also as somebody who's a little bit older in the Gen X sphere and noticing, feeling like my face is starting to fall down and like, and just, and then watching my husband, who's eight years, my senior and couldn't give a flying fuck about his wrinkles or he gets more attractive. Right. Right. He gets to be debonair. I mean, Mm -hmm. we have all those words for it, right? Like, like a distinguished bachelor or he's debonair, Mm -hmm. but women, what we're an old hag, (laughs) we're spinster old maid. Yeah. So I think my question is, where, where do you stand on the balance between relishing one's own beauty and saying, I'm also more than that? Here's where I stand. Everybody gets to choose what they do in the name of beauty, in the name of how they represent themselves. But we need to be really mindful and really critical of what we have been taught makes us us. Like what makes you, you, can you leave the house without mascara and still feel like all of you? Or do you feel like a little, a little naked, a little less than Hmm. I want people to take an inventory of what work they do driven and fueled by shame. And what is creative expression? What is fun? What is fueled by joy, happiness? What is fueled by shame for so many of us, um, myself included, I opt into some beauty work that is uh, driven by patriarchal, capitalistic, sexist bullshit. I'm wearing mascara right now. I lined my eyebrows and I covered my zits because of patriarchal, sexist, capitalist bullshit. And we all buy into that in some way. Uh, Almost all of us. There's a whole spectrum of beauty work we can do from opting out of everything, including, you know, letting our hair grow. Um, to the other end of opting into a lot of work, a lot of cosmetic surgery, a a lot of upkeep, pain, expense, time, energy, emotion, you know, invested into beauty work, what we call beauty work. Mm -hmm. And everybody gets to draw the line for themselves. But one question that does come up when people kind of get introduced to our work or similar work is where do I draw the line? Like they ask me, where do you draw the line? Yeah. Because What we teach people about is that, you know, advertisers, media makers, the beauty industry, and all the other industries are conceiving um, new flaws for us every day, and then providing the quote solutions to those flaws. Every day there's new stuff. We were not worried about the size of our pores 10 years ago. Like that wasn't a real thing. We uh, were not worried. Or our armpits, our armpits being clear. Or just not having hair to begin with. I mean, so many things. Yes, exactly. Uh, Baggy eyelids used to not be a thing that people were worried about. Um, And now it's just plastered on billboards. 
Um, a million things. We are constantly being um, diagnosed with new flaws and the solutions to fix those flaws. Though the solutions never quite work because the ideals are constantly out of reach, it drives billions of dollars in sales every year on the backs of women. We spend that money. And so when people ask me that question, where do you draw the line? I suggest that there's a little bit deeper question in there. It's not literally like, where do you draw the line when it comes to beauty work? Um, And I do have a line and we can talk about that. But I think the question they're trying to ask is more of an ethical one. Like, why should I draw a line? Ask yourself that question. Why are you asking that question? Why do I draw the line? What about, why should I draw a line? What is, what is drawing me to ask that question at all? Is it that you realize that you're living in a world that is a mirage? You are told in this world that as you fix your body like a lifelong project, that's how you'll gain confidence. Mm-hmm. That's how you'll attract love. That's how you will get these things. It is through the looks of your body. That is what we're told. And that is a lie. Mm-hmm. There is some power and some privilege in beauty and bodies. I have some of that power and privilege. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm able-bodied. I am white. I am blonde haired, blue eyed. Yep. All those things give me some privilege. And in other ways, I do not have privilege. I'm too fat for what most people think I should be, you know, like according to the ideals, I, I could list my flaws and I'm not going to, because I don't believe they are flaws. (laughs) Nice reframe. But I think that it is important for us to acknowledge our privilege. And for those of us that do have privilege to opt out of some of those ideals we've been taught, we have to opt into. We should, I think about myself. I, I'm in a like really wonderful, loving relationship with my husband. I'm way fatter than I planned on being. And yet I am happy. I am healthy. I am more successful in my career than I've ever been. I, I move my body more than I ever have. My life is really good in a fatter body than I ever planned on being in. And I did that on purpose. I opted out of dieting because I refuse to starve myself and live a small life where I can't eat with my kids or with my husband. I can't do the things I want to do. That is a small life. And instead it was scary, but I proved to myself and to the world, to the people looking at me that need to see reality that I am more than a body. And so I am going to feed myself. And for a long time, I didn't a long time. I thought for a long time, I thought the only way I could I could be successful. The only way people would listen to me talk about my own research and objectification would be if I looked the part. And then I realized through doing tons of media interviews that regardless of my size, regardless of how I looked on the cover of the newspaper, I got opposite ends of the spectrum in comments. You're too pretty and too young to know what body shame feels like. Talk to me after five kids and you're too fat and you're too ugly. You're just jealous. Lose some weight and get back to me. You won't be so jealous. And both of those are objectifying me and silencing my words. And I realized that I get to show up however I am right now, because what the world needs is my voice and my research. And anybody that silences me is proving my point. We are more than bodies. We need to listen to women. And, and so that the, the long and winding answer to that is that we are all complicit in a world that is sexist and objectifying, and we do need to draw our own lines. For me, I write in the book, and so does Lindsay, that I've opted out of dieting, which means I've gained weight, but I also don't do anything that causes me pain. 
I will never shame or blame anybody for what they do in the name of beauty. I understand how hard it is. I totally get it. And yet for me, and obviously because of my work and my mission in life, I do have to draw some lines. And so I I don't do anything that causes me pain, including like laser hair removal, injections, cosmetic procedures. I just, I'm not going to do those things. I, I want to set a standard for the people viewing me and for my own daughters that they can have leg hair and that that's, that's good. You know, that's (laughs) there. They got it from their mama, you know? And it doesn't have a damn thing to do with your IQ or (laughs) your ability to emote or connect Yes, with, with, yeah. Dad gets it, you know, their dad gets to keep his hair. So, I mean, yeah. And I'm still complicit in some of that stuff, but I do draw a line there. And I would suggest that everybody just take a real hard look at the time, the energy, the money you spend um, on beauty work. And if there's some things that are fueled by shame, prove those lies wrong, leave your house without the thing you think you have to have to survive, whether it's, you know, Spanx or shapewear or makeup or whatever it is, prove to yourself that you are still you, you can, because you are still you. And that builds your resilience to the pain that you think you will meet when you don't opt into those ideals, you build your resilience every time you're able to prove yourself and those lies wrong and show up anyway. And it also gives you more power because there is a world of people that are so desperate for just a little bit more reality to see people that look like them. Um, I think we all have more power than we can fathom in that way. It's so curious to hear about your line and that feels so logical and reasonable, (laughs) like it to even say my line is discomfort and pain. Like just the fact that we have these mantras, like beauty is pain. Yeah. Is so, so royally fucked. I know. It, It just blows my mind. And I'm constantly having that pull because you know, I'm in my forties and I'm feeling not as much, well, I'm definitely heavier than I've been and wrestling with that, but I'm also wrestling with aging pieces. Mm -hmm. So, but I also think about how much limit we put on what type of body is acceptable. And it was really illuminated for me. And I think y'all might've even quoted her in your book. Um, the body is not an apology. Oh yeah. Uh Sonia Renee Taylor. Yeah. And we'll link, we'll link to that book in the, in the show notes as well. But it, it dawned on me being in bodies that are part of marginalized identities, like a non-binary body, um, Mm -hmm. a, a body with a disability, a black body, a person of color, you know, all of these elevated levels of distinction of what we say is permittable or allowable or, and how all of those things, those intersections all, and, and we obviously are saying this as like able-bodied white women. So, you know, (laughs) take it with a grain of salt, but to recognize that like whatever intersections you are dealing with, whether you're in a queer body or whatever, that there's all these additional layers of work that unjustly fall on us to unpack because it's not our fault. You know, it is a system of programming that has, that's incredibly hierarchical of this is better than that. This, you know, ethnicity is better than that one or this size or this age. And 
I, I remember hearing a really great social justice advocate talking about how ageism is really the only equalizer that every single person experiences mm. if we're so lucky to live. But that's the only method of discrimination or otherness that that all of us have in common. Yeah, I haven't thought about that. Curious, right? Yeah. I mean, ageism is a real thing. I I'm 36, so I'm still, you're young too. We're both relatively young, but yeah, we are, we are growing up in a a 2d world where, especially in a pandemic, we, most of our interactions take place on a screen. Most of everything we see of people takes place on a screen and our brains don't have the cognitive function to be able to tell us talking to you and scrolling on my screen and whatever you're doing to say, but that's not how they really look. That's flat. You don't see the dimension. You don't see the lines. You don't see the pores. And so we look at our own faces in the mirror or in pictures, and we see everything that looks so deeply abnormal. We think we are so flawed because our, our faces show signs of aging. Our bodies show signs of aging, but you just don't see it represented. You, too many of us are using filters. And even when we're not, we're in the best possible lighting. We, we're doing whatever we can to, to represent ourselves, how we have been taught our whole lives. We have to present ourselves, which is ageless. It's pore free. It's line free. It's hair free. It's all of these things. And so it is no wonder that we're getting older thinking with a real sense of crisis and trauma, what is happening to me? I am losing my value in this world because we've been taught that's where our value comes from. Youth, beauty for women. That's what it is. It's not true. Uh, we wrote um, recently about the fact that, you know, lots of women write into us and speak to us about the fact that they feel invisible as they age. People just look right past them. Yeah, And yeah. that's real. That, that ageism is real. And yet we want to reframe that to first get people thinking if women feel invisible as they age, that should tell you a lot about what we were valued for in the first place. You know, that's Um, it. Can you say that one more time? Yeah. If women feel invisible as we age, that should tell you a lot about what we were valued for in the first place. It's just reinforcing that we have been objectified. Um, and gotten privilege from that, or many of us that were never looked at to begin with were invisible long before we started aging. Yeah, you can yeah. see uh, the lack of privilege and power there. But I would suggest a reframe of this. If you are feeling invisible as you age, let that be your opportunity to opt out of a system that never gave a shit about you in the first place. Operate without people looking at you operate without the fear of people looking at you and go out there and live your life, wear the clothes you want, (laughs) do the things you want to do. Realize that for so long, almost all of us have policed ourselves and lived our lives from the outside looking in. We have lived our lives as if we are strangers uh, looking in and judging how we look. And so we have opted out of opportunities, experiences, the jobs we want to have, the volunteer opportunities, the vacations, the sports yes. we want to play, the clothes we want to wear, the way we want to represent ourselves. We, for women, we have opted out of our lives 
And so as you get older, if you realize, or as you get fatter, as you get further away from the ideals you've been taught to believe that in order to be seen, you have to fit those ideals, consider it an amazing invitation to live your life outside the confines of being looked at. I know that it feels scary to think that if you're invisible, it means people like what? It, there, is, there is a lack of power that can come from invisibility. But for many of us, it's not as bad as we've been sold it is. If you have a job, if you have you know loving relationships, the things you need to survive, then what we've been taught about not living up to the to be looked at ideals is not so bad. It's actually freedom. It's freedom. And so what I hope to be able to do is, you know, less people look at me than they used to. I already get that sense. And that is allowing me the opportunity to realize that I am still me, that I am powerful, that I have, I have the opportunity to live inside my body and enjoy it while it's healthy. I have the opportunity to have fun swimming even though in the past that scared me so bad, I always opted out. I love swimming. That's, that's how I want to spend my life by the water. And for too many of us, uh, especially women, things like sex and swimming have been taken away from us because the second you say those words, we opt out of our own bodies to watch ourselves. That fear comes up where we split from ourselves and say, how do I look while doing it? How will I look? What should I wear? We, we, take the joy out of those amazing experiences, those embodied experiences we should be having in the summer sun, having sex, being intimate, those things have been taken from us and it's our time to get them back. Yeah. That I was getting so emotional as you're talking about that, because what a revolutionary fuck you to the establishment Mm -hmm. to say, Oh, you're not going to see me then not a goddamn thing is going to change. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to, I can't remember if it was you or Lindsay that had talked about, I get my hair wet or if it, maybe it was somebody you interviewed. Yeah. Um, It was one of your research participants who had said, and I'm like, that is such a great, a perfect example of ways that we've stifled our own expanse and our own freedom in our own bodies. It's just getting our goddamn hair wet Why? Because it takes so much effort to get back to the standard that we're (laughs) demanding for ourselves. And it really, really hit me as such a perfect uh, exemplification of ways in which we hold ourselves back. And I know that you all have talked about that in your book too, about not, not swimming, you know, like you said, not like immediately opting out of those things. So before we continue on, I wanted to ask a quick favor from you. Do you ever listen to the pod, and I think this might happen for you, where you think, damn, I really wish so-and-so could hear this. Maybe it's your coworker who could actually use a lesson or two on boundaries, or maybe it is a women's group that you're a part of where everyone is super on board for speaking up for themselves, but nobody really knows what that really sounds like. Okay, where here's where you come in. I have three battle-tested and badass keynote speeches that are ready to be delivered to your company, organization, group, association. So if you, your community, or anyone you know could benefit from me rocking the mic, like who couldn't use some new tools, right? Please send them over to amygreensmith.com slash speaking. 
where you or they can message me directly about specific needs for the audience. Shocker, the three keynotes are focused around speaking up, contending with fear, and accessing enoughness. And all three of them can be delivered either in person or virtually, and of course can be completely customized for specific audience needs. So again, simply send them to amygreensmith.com slash speaking, where they can get in touch with me because listen, it is time that women everywhere have the tools necessary to use their voice, take up space, and advocate for their wants, needs, and opinions, like yesterday. And if you end up orchestrating an opportunity for me to speak with your group, you will officially get unlimited squeezes from me. (laughs) And I'm sure you're all in now. And be sure to let them know that I can always temper my... colorful language if needed. And thank you. Before we continue, I wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And you know I'm a huge fan of therapy. I like to say if you don't think that you need therapy, then you probably need therapy. Because listen, without a healthy mind, being really, truly happy and at peace can really be a challenge. But the good news is that therapy really does work. So whatever you need help with, it is time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better, okay? Because you deserve to be happy. Here's the deal. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't even have to be on camera if you don't want to. Hello, introverts. I see you out there. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. They have over 20,000 therapists in their network, which gives you way, way more options than your immediate geographical area. And it's also available for clients worldwide. Much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can start communicating with your therapist in less than 48 hours. So join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. In fact, a member of my family just started and totally loves it. It is always a good time to invest in yourself because you deserve it. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and the Bold Face Truth podcast listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash bold truth. That's betterhelp.com slash bold truth or enter the code bold truth at checkout again to save 10% off your very first month. All right, let's get back to the show. In my youth, I had extremely acneic skin. And it was debilitating. I would wash my face in the dark. I would shower in the dark. I could not stand to see myself. And it it took fixing it before Mm -hmm. I could actually relish. And like, and I think about that a lot now. And I think, did I, did I take, obviously I was a child. So, I mean, I was still a teenager and didn't in the nineties and didn't quite fully, you know, didn't have the education around what we're talking about today, but I oftentimes think when we are disguising the fix as the method to confidence, like I've had lipo twice, Mm -hmm. again, about approaching 15 years ago now, but my confidence was gained through the fix. My, it was through the fix of having clear skin or, you know, being able to wear skinny jeans. And so that's really difficult for me to 
that's been my modus operandi. That's uh-huh. been the way in which I've accessed the confidence. And now I'm going through this place where I'm really reckoning with how much bullshit do I want to do to counteract this aging piece? Yep. And my conf- my history has been the confidence has come through the fix. And was it sustainable? How long did it last? You mean the confidence? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, it doesn't mean that it was a cure-all with it. You just start to fixate on something else, Yeah. you know, something else. But, but I do feel very strongly specifically about the lipo. I would, I would absolutely do it again. Like it really was, I couldn't find boots ever that fit me, you know? Um, and I wanted to be able to just fucking wear boots. (laughs) And so I had my ankles lipo, you know? Um, so so there's ways in which there were pieces of that that nobody really knew it, mm-hmm. except for me. But then I, I, I just wrestle with that a lot. And it just it's kind of the dangling carrot. It just becomes a new thing to fixate on. Definitely. I mean, one thought, how fucked up is it that you have to get lipo on your ankles instead of having boots made that are a little bit wider? Boots are made small. They are right. not made to fit bodies. And so every single one of us think that we are the problem and we have to, we have to fix ourselves instead of systemic change that could better everybody and make life more accessible and fun for everybody. But that's just a little aside earlier this week, Lindsay and I recorded an episode of Dr. Phil and it was on like social media impact on body image. And they had us up there on the stage with two Beverly Hills plastic surgeons, an influencer, a woman that owns a bunch of like beauty bars. Yeah. And Lindsay and I, when we got up there, we knew that the first thing I said, I'll never shame or blame anybody for what they do in the name of, you know, beauty work ever. But what I believe is that we are misdiagnosing the problem. We believe the problem is that women don't feel beautiful enough that women don't feel sexy or thin enough. The problem is that women are so defined by their beauty and their bodies that they're confined by them. We seek our confidence, our happiness, our health through our bodies, but that's a mirage. It's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. If your power and your confidence come through your parts, you're constantly fixing your parts. That's what a bullshit capitalist sexist world wants you to do. To spend your money, your time, your energy, your downtime, your emotions on planning and fixing and the pain of conforming your parts to the ideals we've been led to believe we have to have. And I hate that for us. I hate that for us. I just, individuals can get work done and feel better about themselves. But research shows that if you have one, one, um, you know, surgery or procedure, you'll have another the stats back up that we kick the shame to another part. Cause mm-hmm. if, you're, if your confidence comes through your body and you feel good about your breasts, all of a sudden your stomach is looking really bad. And so then mm-hmm. we got to fix the stomach. And in five years, I got, I got to fix the next thing. And you're constantly chasing the mirage of confidence through the parts of your body. So I would never argue with anybody to do whatever they need to do, but I do think it is worth considering the collective burden we have asked people who identify as female to bear in this world. It is a burden. We do not ask men to bear, not like we do women. We ask women to make some parts bigger surgically and other parts smaller 
to inject things into their faces, not to be sexy, just to look female, just to look normal because female has become so commodified that you have to buy it and put it on. It's not just whatever we are, you know, that lights a fire in me that the feminist rage that is just constantly seething. When I think about the money, time, energy, emotion, we all spend just to feel like we qualify to live just to feel like we qualify to be ourselves is just such a huge burden. And so the reframe, what we like to talk about, instead of getting bogged down in the anger of all of this, is to use that anger, use that anger as a fire that keeps you melded to yourself and whole instead of constantly splitting to watch yourself from the outside, to constantly be fixing your outsides that you think is going to fix the emotional needs you have. Let's use every opportunity, every trigger to our body image. Every time we look in a mirror and don't like what we see, we compare ourselves to somebody. Our friend gets plastic surgery and gets a lot of compliments. Somebody posts before and after pictures. We face injury, illness, whatever the thing is. These are all disruptions to our body image. They are constant. You cannot feel beautiful your way out of the disruptions to our body image we constantly face. That's where body positivity falls short. When you face the shame, the self-objectification that will always rise up within you because we live in an objectifying world, the thing to do is to sit with it and name it. So if I'm trying, I recently uh, um, tried on, well, when I was getting ready to go on the Dr. Phil show, they told me I couldn't wear black. I always wear black. I love black. And they told me to have four outfit changes for all the filming we were going to be doing. And I had to go find four camera ready head to toe outfits within days. And I've been living in a pandemic and had a baby two years ago. And I have not really had to be out there too much. I work from home for the most part. So it was a huge trigger to my body image. And instead of doing what I would have done in the past, which is when I was younger, Lexi, I would have made immediate plans for how I was going to change my body. Okay. Time to stop eating sugar, stop eating carbs. Let's get some weight off in a very short period of time. Let's go, um, get a spray tan. You're too pale for this. Uh, what else can I do to immediately fix myself to quell my anxiety about going on the show in front of millions of people. Mm -hmm. And instead I sat with myself in the triggers. I said, this is my body. I have a really important message to share. I cannot punish myself out of this. I cannot betray myself in this way. And the people who need to hear me talk, I accepted the opportunity. I bought some clothes that I felt comfy in that fit my body as it is now that, um, didn't cause me to self-objectify the dress I wore was flowy. And so I wasn't thinking about my body the whole time I was on the stage from every camera angle. And I was able to just embrace that. This is me now. And that my words are more important than how I look in this moment. And honestly, what is the worst thing that could happen if people see me and they don't like what they see? Nothing. The bad emails I'm going to get, they mean nothing to me. I do not care. You are proving the importance of my point. We are right. more than bodies. Our bodies are instruments, not ornaments. And so I, I, I decided to use my body as an instrument and it was terrifying, but it was amazing. I proved to myself that I can do hard, really scary things. I proved to myself that my words are deeply important and that people need them. And I do that again and again, instead of betraying myself and punishing myself, every time a new disruption comes up, every time the jeans don't fit, I don't like the photo. I see that my husband just took of me, whatever the thing is, I sit with that for a moment. I say, I do not deserve to feel this way. I do not deserve to feel the shame. 
I don't want little Lexi inside of me to feel that shame, that little girl I grew up into. I don't want my daughters to feel this. I will not betray myself again and hurt myself. I know there's a better, more sustainable way. And I get back inside my body. I go for a walk. I do some deep breathing. I relax my stomach. The thing we've all been taught to suck in our whole lives. I do whatever I can to just nurture myself in the body that I have right now, not planning for future Lexi that doesn't even exist. Um, And I, I want everybody to do that. I want everybody to realize that the best F you we can give this objectifying world is to take the pain that we will inevitably experience of living in it and use it to be more of us be more, not less. What does that look like for you? What opportunities are you going to take? What are you going to do to spend your time, your money, your energy differently? What are you going to do to feel less pain? You know, we only have so much energy and emotions to spend every day. And if you're spending your energy, emotions, your pain, doing things that at the end of the day, aren't serving you, they're just serving the strangers looking at you. I can think of some better ways to use that time energy. Like, absolutely to take our power back. I just, for us, for Lindsay and I, the work we do in body image resilience, we truly believe is the revolution we all need. Resilience is the opportunity to stand on your pain, to use it as a platform, to use it, to become more, not less. And if collectively, if all of us could do that, instead of betraying ourselves and coping with our shame in ways that hurt us, that are expensive and time consuming and never get us to where we need to be anyway, If we were to use that pain differently, to use it as a kind of a a catalyst, a trigger to come back home every time to be whole with ourselves. Oh, can you imagine what the world would get in return? The collective power of women coming back home, refusing to be defined as, you know, the ornaments we've been led to believe we are. I know it sounds like kind of cheesy or, or idealistic, but I see on the ground floor the, the many people, men and women who come to us to say like, this feels powerful and life-changing. This feels like the truth I need. I'm, I'm going to go this route instead. It's awesome. Yeah. It's, there's so many things that were coming up for me as you were talking it. So one of the things that I've talked about extensively in the work that I do, which is a lot around worthiness and Mm -hmm. also around people pleasing, which is essentially what we're doing. What we're talking about today is pleasing the culture through our image. It it is this concept around feeling instead of fixing and how our everything in our culture says, fix it, fix it, fix it instead of feel. I mean, even something as if we look at, you know, fast food, we want it quickly, quickly, quickly. Um, we want, if we go to the doctor, we want a pill, just fix it. I don't want to have to be with anything Mm -hmm. that is going to take emotional bandwidth or energy. And so what I'm hearing you say is use the compulsion to fix as your entry point for contemplation because I think a lot of people think that if I'm to practice body resilience, or if I'm to have a harmonious relationship with my body, that means that I am void of having negative thoughts about myself or, and, and I talk about this a lot with fear and courage. Like you can't have courage. You can't be brave without fucking fear. You have to have it. So what I'm hearing you say is everybody out there, when you notice that, that trigger, 
Use Mm -hmm. that as the entry point to do the damn work, which looks like analyzing the emotional current that you're experiencing. It shows up as shame. Then you unpack that and look at, okay, the essence of shame, the message of shame is I am wrong. I am Mm -hmm. faulty. I am damaged. So if we examine that and we go, okay, the emotion that I'm feeling, this is what it is saying. Is that a truth I want to buy into? Fuck no. And then starting to shift. Well, then how does that inform my actual behavior? What does that look like now that I have this span of time before I go to this engagement? How does that inform my behavior? Yes. And it's, it's also interesting. I had an interview. Do you know who Susan Hyatt is? Mm -mm. No. Okay. She, I've heard her talk a little bit about how So much of the things that we want to do and create in our businesses, let's say, or in our families, in our communities, or our connections is thwarted because so much of our emotional and mental bandwidth is absorbed thinking about the food we're eating or the product we need to buy or the thing that we need to fix or how I'm going to look in that outfit or if I have the proper filter, how much noise we are contending with that that thwarts other important shit that we need to be doing in this world. And she talks about it a lot through the business lens of one of the reasons why your business is not the way you want it is because you're so fucking obsessed with your body and food. And I, I kind of went, oh my God, these things that were kind of, everything's compartmentalized and, oh, these aren't really tethered. They're so tethered. Oh, it's, it's mind blowing. I, so what you're saying is it just perfectly encapsulates our work. When I was early on in my PhD research, maybe even my master's research, I came upon this concept called self-objectification. It's what I've been talking about. Self-objectification is when you picture yourself living instead of just living. So most girls and women, our identities are literally doubled. We live and we look at ourselves living, even when we're alone. Um, and it doesn't just happen on zoom when you're only watching yourself. It happens when you're, um, you're walking down the street instead of thinking about what you need to do today, or, you know, call your mom. You haven't seen her in a minute. You're thinking about how you look, even if nobody's around, you're adjusting your clothing, you know, pull your leggings up. So the muffin top is covered up and, oh shoot, I really should have washed my hair. I bet the guy sitting behind me on the bus thinks my hair is so greasy and disgusting, or I'm growing a zit. People talking to me are probably just looking at my face and feeling bad for me. Or is this lighting doing me any favors where we are split from ourselves? That's the split I'm talking about. So in our research, we found a lot of people identifying self-objectification, but we couldn't find a way out of it. There's not a lot of research that was being done on how to help people out of this cycle. And so to give a little bit more nuance to this, when we talk about body positivity and people, you know, telling you how you can feel more beautiful or what you can do to fix your body to feel more beautiful. That's why I say we're misdiagnosing the problem because the problem of self-objectification is the root of all of this. When you feel defined by your body, you're confined by it. It becomes your prison when you are your body and you're stuck, just trying to fix it, trying to hide it. You're stuck in this cycle of self-objectification. Even if you're feeling good about yourself, you're still thinking about how you look. You need to upkeep your appearance. You need to do whatever you can to keep your power, you know, based on how you look. And so the way out is through body image resilience. Instead of coping in ways that are just helping you to fix the immediate problem with your body, with your appearance, 
or hide it in whatever ways you need to opting out of the thing while you make plans to fix yourself. Um, instead of just the hiding and fixing loop, we all stay in forever and ever resilience gives us the opportunity to face the trigger. And we built the bottle, the model of body image resilience on the fact that we will all face these triggers. If you feel body shame, it doesn't mean you're failing. It means you're living truly. If you feel body shame, if you self-objectify, it does not mean you're failing at this body image work. It means you're living in a body. It's inevitable. There are too many messages telling us we're wrong. And yet as you practice resilience, as you sit with the trigger for a minute, and instead of coping in the ways you used to the self-harm, the addiction, the, the, the surgery, the, whatever you do to hide and fix, if instead you sit with it for a second and say, how could I react in a way that serves me? in a million different ways. There's so many things you can do that allow you to just stay with yourself in that moment and prove yourself wrong, prove your worst fears wrong. Then all of a sudden you come out more powerful, more whole. All of a sudden, when you face a new trigger, it doesn't hurt so bad. It doesn't split you from yourself so quickly. It doesn't cause the shame it used to. You respond instinctually. You build this resilience muscle that allows you over time to become more you to become more of who the world needs you to be more of who you are meant to be. And everything opens up at that point, everything. So I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking about, I would love to leave people with some tactics or some very specific things. And I've got a couple of ideas, but ways to move from looking at ourselves living versus Mm -hmm. really being here. And I'm, I'm completely seeing myself going through my day, pulling my joggers up over my belly and Mm -hmm. noticing what I feel are jowls and, you know, like totally by myself. Yeah. Uh Self-objectification a hundred percent. And I'm thinking about some of the specific things that I've been trying to do to start dismantling that. And I know y'all have talked about considering working out where there's not a shit ton of mirrors. um, If that happens to be triggering, I've personally, I've been really careful to curate my news feeds with get the fuck out any beauty thing, any surgery thing, anything that's telling me buy this thing to be more beautiful, get out and diligently following fat creators, non-binary creators, creators who have disabilities who are in different bodies Mm -hmm. um, because of the overwhelming messaging that we see. Um, And another element that I've tried to really employ is as much as I've hated (laughs) or really strongly disliked certain folks in our culture, namely previous presidents. I Uh, make it a point to never disparage somebody's appearance. So no, no matter what it is. And I caught myself doing it last night going, no, I I'm fully enjoying this person's comedy right now. Why do I need to be picking apart what he looks like. So Mm -hmm. really watching that and then watching also any commentary about bodies towards myself. Like I really, you know, I know that that was well-intended. We talk a lot about phrases and how to speak Uh up and say things on the show. So acknowledging like, Hey, listen, I know that that's a super well-intended comment, but I'm really working on some body image stuff. And I would appreciate it if you 
would look for other things to commend me on other than my body. Love it. Yes. So I'm curious, aside from those, are there any other go-to things that are really easy to implement where somebody could go, where the fuck do I start? I feel inundated. Uh How can I start really, truly living instead of just imagining what I look like as I'm Mm -hmm. living? Uh, A few immediate things you can do. One is to just memorize our mantra. My body is an instrument, not an ornament. What I mean by that is my body is an instrument for my use, my experience, my living, not an ornament to be admired, to be fixed, to be flaunted and cast aside. When you can live with this paradigm shift that your body is instrumental first, not ornamental first, then a lot of things look different. You dress differently. For me, one of those things was like, I really like a wedge and a heel and I still do, but I've realized that I don't, I don't need those all the time. And if I'm going somewhere where I need to do some walking, I need to prioritize my comfort. My body is an instrument first. And so if I'm doing a speaking event, I'm not going to wear a high heel. If I'm, if I'm, you know, having to, uh, go to work, I work at a university, I prioritize comfort. And that can be scary at first because you think, but my legs won't look good enough or this doesn't fit the style I want to wear. And yet when you're seeing your body as an instrument, you want to stay inside it by, by feeling more comfortable in your body. So you're not just thinking about how you look doing the thing. So what could you do to, to experience a little bit more comfort during the day? Another of those things I talked about is that we all live in this. Most of us live in this anxiety cloud, even when we're alone, picturing how we look instead of living. And so in the moment you feel that happen, I want you to take three really deep breaths, filling your whole lungs with air. Cause most of us just breathe very light, you know, breaths. We don't fill our whole lungs with oxygen to get to every part of your body and then relax your, all your muscles, especially your stomach muscles. It's soft belly breathing and therapy. As you relax those stomach muscles, you realize how tight and clenched we've all taught ourselves to be, you know, from the time we're just little, many of us are taught to hold our stomachs in. And that is so sad. That is so sad. We need to be able to breathe. Like the things that we prioritize when we prioritize, when we prioritize how everybody else experiences us over how we experience the world are stunning. So many of us, we believe that living is painful, that beauty is painful, that being us is painful because it requires so much. We've been taught it requires so much. So what can you do to have a little bit more compassion for yourself today? to just be a little bit more comfortable. Can you eat the food and not be super mad at yourself about it? Can you exercise because you love your body because you need the mental health benefits and the physical benefits that do not have an aesthetic goal? Another quick tip would be to reframe how you um, see physical fitness and health in your life. And that means that if you see your body as an instrument instead of an ornament, then your fitness goals they can't be aesthetic. That's never going to get you anywhere. If your goal is to get a flatter stomach or a bigger butt or to lose weight for most women, that is an unsustainable goal. We just, we can't get to where we think we can. 
And so, or if you do, then you punish yourself to stay there. And it requires a ton of effort if it, if it is aesthetic and research shows that we, when we don't meet our aesthetic goals, which most of us don't, cause they're designed to be out of reach. Then we feel like we failed and then we swing the other way. We're totally lazy. We do not move our bodies. We punish ourselves by eating everything in the world because we're disgusting. So let's just own it. And that is no way of living. If your body is an instrument, it means that you want to move your body because you're grateful. You can, you move it in whatever way you can for people that don't have for people that are disabled or that are, uh, don't have the abilities they used to have for if they're injured or, you know, facing illness, how can your body be an instrument for good? How can you prioritize feeling your lungs breathe, writing to somebody or talking to somebody, communicating with them, connecting with them? What are ways that you can express yourself creatively, get into a flow state in your body through working out, through creating that can allow you to really feel your power. That helps you remember how instrumental your body is. It helps you to stay whole and embodied instead of split and self-objectifying. I love everything that you have to say there. And I, I feel like I'm going to go back and listen to this <laughs> over and over and over again. I love that. But it really, it, and there's a reason for that because it, it requires a reconditioning. Yes. And, and I do find, and I'm sure you do as well, that the more you practice it, it does become easier. It doesn't yes. become where you never have to contend with it. We're immersed in that society. So of course, we're still going to feel that we're inundated but it does get easier. And I, I'm thinking just even a lot of times when I'm brushing my teeth is when I finally let my belly out. Yeah. And it's, and it's so stupid because I'm by myself all the time, (laughs) but I, I've been trying to think more about like, Oh my gosh, you digested so much food today. Thank you so much. You know, and how much instrumental, Mm -hmm things my body's doing every damn day versus it's amazing. Ornamental. Yeah. Yeah. It is amazing what our bodies are doing, regardless of ability level. It is incredible that we're all alive right now. It is a miracle. And to be able to just like, thank your body and realize that this is the body you were born into. It's gotten you through so much, so much good, so much bad, so much hard. And yet you're sitting here right now, being able to practice gratitude can be really helpful here. I've also often thought about how this body is, is pretty much a vehicle and we all have different types of vehicles, but this is the only body that I have to move this spirit around this planet and do my spirit needs this body to do this work or else I'm just a fucking ghost. And I, all I can do is haunt. I can just haunt, but, (laughs) but I need in order for my spirit to do the work in, that I need to do in this world, whatever that is, relationally, occupationally, um, sexually, whatever it is that we need to do. Yep. This body is what's what we're driving around in, right? Yeah. I could talk to you forever, and yeah. I feel like I need to pay you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so great, so incredibly no, great. Fun. But I obviously you have an incredible book that we've talked about talk to people a little bit about the name of the book and yeah. then your, uh, where they can find out more about you. I know you have a course, your Instagram yeah. is phenomenal. Thank you. Yes. Our book is more than a body. Your body is an instrument, not an ornament. It's available everywhere. You buy books. It's on audiobook, ebook, paperback, and hardcover. The hardcover is beautiful. 
Um, we are on Insta Instagram at beauty underscore redefined also on Facebook and Twitter, but I like Instagram the best. Um, and our website is more than a body.org. And there you can find our online body image resilience course. We're working on a workbook right now. That's like a, a daily practice of our book more than a body. So yeah, we've, we share lots of resources and we, um, really hope that many of you listening will join us in the revolution of body image resilience. Oh, yes. I feel like it, I've been watching a uh, gilded age and oh, yeah. I'm struck by, and it's, you know, set in like the, the mid 1800s and the corsets and the, just the ridiculous amount of attire and uh -huh. how restricted we've been just in like, mm -hmm. like, can we even wrap our heads around? It's a sheer act of rebellion and resistance to just wear clothing. That's comfortable. It is. Like, it is. That's ridiculous. No Isn't wonder we wild? like active wear so damn much. I know. I know. And I'm so glad we have active wear, you know, like athleisure, that's a gift. It really <laughs> is. Right. Oh my gosh. We need to prioritize comfort. Let's get one thing out of this podcast. If your body is an instrument, not an ornament, then be nice to it. Oh my gosh. Prioritize oh, comfort. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for your time. I think I hear the baby. So <laughs> yes. <laughs> You actually uh, do. <laughs> do I really? Okay, cool. No, that's not just for effect, everybody. Um, <laughs> but thank you again so much for, for picking up and sharing your blessed nap time with me and us. <laughs> and please, everybody go get the damn book. Please, please, mm -hmm. please, please. And I will talk to you later. Awesome. Good to talk to you. All right. Bye, Lex. Bye. Well, Mary, mother of God, if that does not flip some switches, good God, I don't know what will. And I could not be more grateful to both Dr. Lexi and Dr. Lindsay for, for putting this work into the atmosphere. I think that depending on when you were born, we really face these different levels of challenges, you know, growing up in, in the 80s and 90s as a Gen Xer, there were no body positive concepts anywhere. It was highly, highly immersed in diet culture. But then as there started to be younger generations coming about, now we have this additional level of influence with social media. So you know, we can't necessarily say, oh, you know, one grouping of people has it easier than the other because we're con continued to be bombarded with these messages. So anyway, I think the biggest thing that I'm taking away from my conversation with Dr. Lex is that I have to do the work and that I'm going to be living in this society that's kind of at odds with <laughs> what I want to believe about my body. So it's going to take being mindful about that consistently and constantly. And like I said, yes, it'll get easier. But I want you to think about everything that we've discussed today. And I want you to think about what is one small tangible thing that I can actually do differently to start revering and giving reverence to my body, to honoring it, even though every fucking thing else out there tells me I should be shameful about this body.
I'm hoping this is helpful. Please, please, please check out the show notes. Get your hands on this book. It's incredibly important. Share it. Tell people about it. The women in your life, the girls in your life, help them understand what this movement is all about. I love you all so incredibly much. I will be back in your feed next week with a brand new episode. And until then, remember you are worthy. Your voice fucking matters. So go out there and tell the bold-faced truth. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Just one more thing. So these podcasts, it turns out, don't actually rate and review themselves. So I would be over the moon if you would leave a review, rate the show, subscribe, and tell anyone you know who needs to start speaking the fuck up for themselves. And if you do, I will give you a mini pig. Just kidding. But I will be so very incredibly grateful. Okay, thank you. Bye.